I'm John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics, www.messianicapologetics.net. And I would like to welcome you to this episode of Messianic Insider. Last week, we started a multi-part series cherry-picked verses out of context, and today we will be reviewing Ephesians 2.11. Before we begin our study, I do have a brief announcement. Torah in the Balance, Volumes 1 and 2, is now available. Uh, This is a combined book, Torn the Balance, and it includes the material from Volumes 1 and 2 in a single book. So, in case you were wondering, why can't I find Torn the Balance 1 or Torn the Balance 2? This is now available in paperback and ebook for Amazon Kindle. And it has been updated, and there is an appendix uh, also which addresses some of the uh, present discussions and debates about the Torah seen in much of today's Messianic community. Cherry-picked verses out of context is a multi-part series we started last week, although Some of this material is something uh, I've been sitting on for a number of months, going back to the fall. And much of this has been because of the required need to be diplomatic about some of the verses we will be talking about. Over the next three weeks, we are going to be addressing a passage of importance for much of the Hebrew Roots movement, much of the One Law, One Torah sub-movement, as well as much of Messianic Judaism. Uh, And indeed, when you look at some of these verses, when you dig into them in a little more detail, it is not difficult to recognize how they have been cherry-picked. They have been plucked out of context. And when various alternative approaches are mentioned, people get defensive. And I would even go so far as to say that there are not just theological sacred cows, but some theological idols which can be detected in the different extrapolations. So, As I have been thinking about Ephesians 2.11 and some of these other passages over the past week, I have been tempered by how would I approach this were we in some kind of a Bible study small group? Uh, If I were at my local congregation or if I were at the home group I attend periodically, If someone asked me this question, how would I approach this? 
with the specific intention of resolving this and moving forward from that. And indeed, you don't see that too frequently when something like Ephesians 2.11, which we're talking about today, is brought up. Sound bites, whether it's what we're going to be discussing over the next three weeks or elsewhere, sound bites can be used to get many people stirred up. Look at some of the sound bites which are circulating right now regarding the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. Once you release a soundbite, once you release a particular term out there in the world of ideas, once you release a meme on social media, you can't easily bring it back in. You can't easily bring things back to, okay, where did this originate? Where did this statement come from? Was this just cherry-picked, plucked out of context? And indeed, sound bites frequently do not help, whether it's our theology, our spirituality, or our understanding of contemporary events. Yet one of the things we can also greatly ignore is how sound bites, in this case, what has been the appeal from a verse like Ephesians 2.11? Sound bites often do represent some kind of a legitimate issue or significant matter needing to be discussed. And so people look, okay, how can I best communicate my grievances to a wider audience? And so they take a verse and then they hammer it hard. So when we address Ephesians 2.11 in a few moments, it's not as though there isn't a legitimate issue needing to be discussed, needing to be recognized, that people have sought some kind of substantiation from in Ephesians 2. There actually is a legitimate issue which needs to be discussed, which people think Ephesians 2.11 addresses which I would argue it doesn't. You can have a phenomenon present known as right theology, wrong text. And I think more than anything else, when people in Hebrew roots have appealed to Ephesians 2.11, this is what has been seen. So what has happened with Ephesians 2.11? How many of you have seen Ephesians 2.11 referred to on a meme? You've heard it perhaps even in some kind of a teaching, a book, an article, it doesn't matter. And you have seen it stressed that non-Jewish believers are former Gentiles. Let me say that to you again. How many of you in your experience It might be on an internet meme, a dynamic teaching, an article. You have seen it stressed from Ephesians 2.11 that non-Jewish believers in Israel's Messiah are former Gentiles. 
Now, we're going to discuss Ephesians 2.11 in just a moment. But there is a major issue out there in the broad messianic sphere of influence when it comes to the English term Gentile. And it is not difficult to recognize how there are many non-Jewish believers in Israel's Messiah who are offended by the term Gentile. Now, why would non-Jewish believers be offended by the term Gentile? Because the term Gentile, obviously dependent on context, can, in various uses, mean pagan. That is the main reason why many non-Jewish believers often don't like the term Gentile. To them, it means pagan, and there are varied uses in the Holy Scriptures. And you can also go look up entries on the term Gentile in a Bible encyclopedia, a dictionary. I've got some of them right behind me, uh, tools like Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Anchor Bible Dictionary, uh, Encyclopedia of Judaism in the Biblical Period, among others. And there's definitely going to be some kind of discussion on the term Gentile, meaning pagan, in various contexts. And so a lot of non-Jewish believers who come into the Messianic movement, who come into Messianic Judaism... They don't like being called a Gentile because to them it means pagan. I remember several decades ago, 1995, when our family was attending a Messianic Jewish congregation and we overheard the main congregational leader speak about us. He didn't know we were eavesdropping. He was speaking to one of the other members of the congregational leadership, and he said, what are these Gentiles doing here? And our family has carried that with us over the past several decades. Now, okay, it was several decades ago. We all make mistakes. It can be forgiven. But the implication was not, what are these non-Jewish believers doing here? It was rather pejorative. What are these Gentiles doing here in our Messianic Jewish congregation? And there are testimonies from many non-Jewish believers who go to Messianic congregations who are referred to as Gentiles who take it as an offense. And they know that the term Gentile may not be employed neutrally to speak of someone who is non-Jewish. It may indeed be used pejoratively. And throughout my Messianic experience, one of the things I have noticed, and those of you all who have gone through our Messianic walk or workbook study know that Messianic Judaism asks non-Jewish people in their midst to be sensitive to terms Jewish people would find offensive and would turn them off to the message of Yeshua. So, use Yeshua, not Jesus. 
Messiah, not Christ. Use immerse, not baptize. Use execution stake or tree, not cross, among other terms, right? And our family has done its best to do that in our messianic experience. Yet, when it is brought up politely to various Messianic Jewish believers that non-Jews don't always like being called Gentiles because of the implication that Gentile can mean a pagan idolater. Have you thought about using an alternative like non-Jewish, the nations, something like that? Our family's frequent experience has been, oh yes, we'll do our best to uh, recognize that the term Gentile can be offensive and we'll use an alternative like non-Jewish or of the nation, something like that. Nine times out of ten, our experience has been, while we have had to be sensitive to Jewish needs, Messianic Jewish needs regarding a term like cross, say execution stake or tree, requesting that Messianic Jews be sensitive when they use a term like Gentile, nine times out of ten, it is not reciprocated. They're not going to use a neutral alternative such as nation or nations, something like that. And so, should we be surprised why there are many people out there who, when they have been called Gentile, they consider that to be you're calling me a pagan, and perhaps there are some Messianic Jews who at least subconsciously believe that. They're going to try to find some kind of a Bible passage which they can use as a credo to protest that. And that is what we have seen from Ephesians 2.11 and the insistence from Ephesians 2.11 that non-Jewish believers are former Gentiles. Because frequently, when a complaint is made in a Messianic setting, please be sensitive to the non-Jewish believers. Don't call them Gentiles when there are alternatives like non-Jewish or of the nations, because that is not often something witnessed. We quickly have some problems and Ephesians 2.11 has been caught in the mix. Now, those of you all who have seen and you have noticed some of my own teachings and writings over the years, you do not actually see me readily use the term Gentile or Gentiles, because I am aware of how in many contexts people think of it as meaning pagan. And in an English language, which possesses hundreds of thousands of vocabulary words. I can use alternative terminology like non-Jewish or of the nations, which will get my point across perhaps even better. Now, I don't have a phobia to the term Gentile. Uh, certainly, I have to engage with scholarship, which uses that term. But if... Non-Jewish believers in the Messianic community have to be sensitive, employing terms like Yeshua, Messiah, tree, immerse, 
because they may unnecessarily offend Jewish people. And of course, it's all caught up in the history of Christian anti-Semitism and everything else. Then there should be some reciprocation and Messianic Jewish believers should employ more alternatives such as non-Jewish or of the nations. Uh, I don't believe the Messianic community easily reciprocates in that way. I've been around the block too many times. Our family's been involved with this for three decades. On the whole, the Messianic community, in its heart, focuses on differences first, not commonality first. And because of that, you don't see the reciprocation, which you should see. And it's it's going to be an ongoing issue. Uh, and it may not be resolved in our lifetimes or until the Messiah returns. So that gives you some background regarding Ephesians 2.11. And with people frequently offended by the term Gentile, which can mean pagan, they're going to try to find some kind of a Bible passage which they can use to say, or they can use to communicate, please don't call me that, or please be sensitive to my needs. So what does Ephesians 2.11 actually communicate in context? Has it been cherry-picked? Has it been plucked out of context? You know, people need to be aware of how others can be offended by the term Gentile, which can mean pagan. But there's still the issue of Ephesians 2.11 and whether or not it has been misapplied. So we can have the right theology, the right conclusion, but the wrong text. So Ephesians 2.11, let me read this from the New American Standard. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called circumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Is it not true that Ephesians 2.11 say, says, formerly you, the Gentiles? So what's the issue? Are non-Jewish believers in Israel's Messiah not former Gentiles? This is where a much more closer reading of the text is required. Formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called circumcision, uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. The main issue is what do you do with the Greek source text, which is under scrutiny. The Greek source text of Ephesians 2.11 says, Pata homes ta ethne en sarki. And this is where those who are making the claim that non-Jewish believers are former Gentiles have a textual problem. Now, I think I've adequately communicated that 
there is there are issues with the English term Gentile and how it can, in various contexts, mean pagan. I don't like the term Gentile. I seldom use it. I have to engage with it in terms of biblical scholarship, but for my own purposes, I use terms like non-Jewish or of the nations. But Ephesians 2.11 says something different than what people often conclude, former Gentiles in Hebrew roots. And why is that the case? It's the case because Ephesians 2.11, and let me read it from Greek again. You just don't see patahomes ta ethne. Once you, the nations, or formerly you, the nations. You see patahomes ta ethne and sarki. And it's that phrase right there, en sarki, which changes the whole dynamic of what Ephesians 2.11 actually says when you look at it in more detail. In our ministries, uh, Apostolic Scripture's Practical Messianic Edition, one of the major features of this resource is that it renders the Greek ethnos as nation or nations. It doesn't use the term Gentile or Gentiles because nation or nations is much more neutral. So what would Ephesians 2.11 say here? Therefore, remember that once you, the nations in the flesh. Now, what do you do? What do you do with the Greek clause? Ta ethne and sarki, which in a version like New American Standard, the Gentiles in the flesh, or from the PME, the nations in the flesh. What do you do with that? Formerly you, or once you, the Gentiles in the flesh, the nations in the flesh. Those who would be extrapolating that non-Jewish believers are former Gentiles, if the clause and Sarki in the flesh were not there, they might have a point. But in the flesh implies what? Paul is speaking to those non-Jewish people in Asia Minor. He's saying, formerly you, and then who is the you? The nations in the flesh. That's rendering ethnos as a neutral nations. The nations in the flesh, speaking of physical identity, physical descent. He's saying you are physically of the nations. When they came to Messiah faith, when they came to faith in Israel's Messiah, did their physical lineage, did their DNA somehow get rewritten? No, of course not. The NIV renders it as Gentiles by birth. The nations in the flesh speaks of their physical ancestry, their physical heritage, being of the nations of planet Earth, the human race at large. 
It's not talking about them in Ephesians 2.11 being former Gentiles because you have to also recognize in the flesh. One's physical ancestry does not change when he or she comes to saving faith in the Messiah of Israel. And that is a very significant detail, which has been overlooked by many people in Hebrew roots. And they put memes out about it. They put sound bites out there about it. And I don't know, maybe somebody does think that their DNA, their physical ancestry changes when they come to faith in Israel's Messiah. But of course, realistically, we know it does not. But what is the former or once state? Continuing, Ephesians 2.11, New American Standard, therefore remember that formerly you, and then the you is identified as the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. And this is where there's some kind of ancient Second Temple Jewish polemic. Uh, many of Paul's Jewish contemporaries referred to the nations at large, well, they're uncircumcision. The Greek is actually acrobustia or foreskin. And in order to truly be members of God's own, you had to go through ritual proselyte circumcision. The former status is stated in verses 12 and 13. Remember that you were at that time separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. In Ephesians 2.11, Greek, patahumes, formerly you, and then that you is identified as ta ethne and sarke, the nations in the flesh. If you go down to verse 13, nuni de en Christo Iesu homes hoi pata antes macron. And what is that describing? That's just, that is further detailing what the once status, the former status is. And the former status is not nations in the flesh, because one's physical in the flesh ancestry doesn't change when you come to Messiah faith. But what would change for Greeks and Romans in Asia Minor, whom Paul is mainly addressing in the letter we call Ephesians, what does change is, verse 13 says it, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who Formerly, that's the adverb pata, were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. That is the former status, which is spoken of in Ephesians 2.11 and 13. It's once you were separated from the commonwealth of Israel and knowing about the one God of Israel the promises made by the one God of Israel to Israel proper of the Messiah to come, 
and the salvation available in him. Now, you who formerly were far off have been brought near in the blood of Messiah. So the former status is basically one of being separated from God, his Messiah. Now, the status is being brought near to God and his Messiah. And of course, being brought near is terminology you witness in the Hebrew Tanakh, which describes the actual people of Israel. What nation has a God so near to it? That sort of thing. The once or former status was of being separated from the commonwealth of Israel. The status is now being brought near. And I believe much would actually be solved with this whole, not only Ephesians 2.11 issue, but other issues, if ethnos were rendered or translated more neutrally as nations, because while some might be able to fidget around and say, uh, formerly you, the Gentiles, when you say nations in the flesh from Ephesians 2.11, it's like, okay, that's speaking of physical descent. One's physical descent, one's parentage, one's ancestors do not change when you come to Messiah faith. Now, when you come to Messiah faith, your behavior might be completely different than that of your ancestors if they were pagans or they were non-believers, but they're still your ancestors. And so Ephesians 2.11 is a passage which sadly has been cherry-picked to support this idea of former Gentiles, whereas the text itself actually says Gentiles better nations in the flesh. There hasn't been some really good, intelligent, honest Bible reading. But the issue in view, is there a problem out there with the English term Gentile? Can the term Gentile mean pagan? Have at times different Messianic Jewish people used the term Gentile in a pejorative way? That is a legitimate issue. And the answer is yes to all of those questions. And we are going to have to do better in the days ahead if non-Jewish believers genuinely called by God into the Messianic movement have to be sensitive to use Yeshua, use Messiah, use execution stake, use immerse. There needs to be some reciprocation, and we need to hear the term Gentile less in terms like non-Jewish or of the nations more. And we will simply have to wait and see how that manifests in the years to come. Now, if you would like to know more about this subject, Ephesians 2.11, I highly recommend you get a copy of our ministry publication, the commentary, Ephesians for the Practical Messianic. And I think you will uh, very much appreciate uh, the detail of analysis which goes into the passage we've just discussed. Next week, we will continue with cherry-picked verses out of context. This week, Ephesians 2.11, a passage frequently misused within Hebrew roots. Next week, it will be the one law or one Torah sub-movement. 
So again, I stress that there are legitimate questions out there, but have we seen adequate examination of a Bible passage? Or have we instead seen right conclusion, wrong text? As always, on behalf of Outreach Israel Ministries and Messianic Apologetics, I would like to sincerely thank you for your ongoing prayers, support, and donations for our ministry efforts. We couldn't do what we do without you. We'll see you again next time with another episode of Messianic Insider. Until then, God bless you. Shalom and take care.